Good morning. It's, uh, it's good to see you. I want to invite you to open a Bible with me to Isaiah chapter 2 or scroll in your cellular device, however you do it. That will be just fine. My name is Eddie Cole, and I am uh, preaching today at the invitation of our pastor, Trent Thompson. Uh, I have told him often that I'm around when I'm in town and around. I uh, am what's called a district superintendent with uh, Evangelical Free Church of America. I travel around. If I'm in town, you know, take me up on the offer. If you want me to cover for you and preach, I'll, I'll be glad to do that. And so. Um, Anyway, come to find out, he looked at the Weather Channel and saw it was going to be so beautiful. <laughs> and here I am. I'm lying. I'm lying. I, uh, I have to say, I'm re- really happy. He, they're d- the, one of the things West Shore is doing right now is c- trying to put in place a leadership pipeline where there's training going on for some, uh, some people who are being trained for new positions in leadership and, and being taught theology and Bible and practical stuff. So they're off doing that. So Trent, is, he may be swimming somewhere. I don't know. But he told me he was doing some leadership training. Uh, but uh, So anyway, it's good to be here with you. I have a, a, a pretty hefty assignment uh, before me today. Uh, my gift spiritually is not brevity. I can be a little on the long-winded side. And uh, Pastor Trent has given me Isaiah chapter 2 through chapter 4. Let me just tell you, it's impossible. So we'll get out by 3 o'clock, no doubt, and it'll be a good day. I, I do, uh, with all that being said, I want to say up front, what I'm going to do is I'm going to cover part of it and kind of squeeze it, uh, but most of it we're just going to fly over and just look at it, and hopefully you'll take it, and you'll, you'll get your appetite kind of stirred up for it, and you'll go study it some more. Isaiah is a beautiful book, beautiful, powerful book. Aside from the book of Psalms, there is no book in the Old Testament that is quoted more than Isaiah. And uh, some of the most popular, most famous preachers of all time owned the book of Isaiah. Uh, You can study, if you study Martin Luther King Jr.'s sermons, you'll find his sermons just replete with Isaiah quote after Isaiah quote. And uh, so anyway, we're we're in for a good journey ahead uh, by looking into Isaiah with Pastor Trent and the pastoral team here. So I hope you're looking forward to it, and I hope today encourages you forward because it's gonna, we're going to need it. For a while in Isaiah, we're going to kind of go into some heavy stuff, but by the time we get to about chapter 40, we're going to start launching, and you're just going to be so thankful that we have plowed and gone through the book because it's just going to be so exhilarating by the time we get there. You're going you're gonna to be happy that we went through this together. So with that being said... What I want to be doing today is I want to cover this, this with you. And, I, and, I, and the thing that the Lord put on my heart to share with you as a message is surviving a terrible in-between. Have you ever started something and it was just filled, it seemed like, with great promise and potential and you felt like this is what God wanted for you? You jump out there, you start doing it, and then it's like, whoa, was this really the right thing to do? This is difficult. It's, it's like the, the song says, through many dangerous toils and snares, 
You kind of find that out once you jump out and you start following the Lord. And that could be one of many things. It could be uh, giving financially to the ministry. It could be going vocationally into some sort of service. It could be being a, a doctor. You felt like God wanted you to do that so that you could be a, have, have healing in your hands and help people or whatever the case may be. And then you jump out there and you're like, whoa. It's like you just get hit after hit after hit. And you're like, did I hear from God right? Well, here's what I just want to say. This seems to be, to me, a pattern in Scripture. God's promises are always in Christ, yes and amen. And when God promises something, it will come to pass. But it doesn't mean that it will come to pass without any trouble. And so today we're going to look at a couple of promises, a couple of prophecies that are beautiful that Isaiah gives. But in between one prophecy and the next, that in-between time is a deep, deep valley. Listen to this quote before we pray together. It's a, a John Piper quote. He says, it will often look as though Christ is defeated. That's the way it looked on Good Friday. Then he kind of jumps over. He starts talking about China. I don't know how much you know about China, but China was closed off to missionaries and everything many years ago, and, and many people were wondering about the state of, of Christianity in China. And Piper goes on and he writes this, if China was closed for 40 years to the Western missionaries, it was not as though Jesus accidentally slipped and fell into the tomb. He stepped in. And when it was sealed over, he saved 50 million Chinese from inside, without Western missionaries, I might add. And when it was time, he pushed the stone away so we could see what he had done. When it looks as though he, being Jesus, is buried for good, Jesus is doing something awesome in the dark. The world thinks Jesus is done for, out of the way. They think his word is buried and his plans have failed, but Jesus is at work in the dark place. He lets himself be buried, and he comes out in power when and where he pleases. And when he does, his hands are full of fruit made in the dark. Isn't that a great quote? Well, five or six of you thought it was. It's not the message for today, but it was supposed to set us up for the message. So let's just pray, and maybe God will set us up for the message, all right? Lord, we just thank you today that we can come and bow in worship. If not in body, then in spirit and heart. We thank you, Lord, that we can sing songs and pray prayers and know that when we do with a sincere and pure heart, gathered together as your people, you are in our midst. Lord, you're here today. And I know that, I believe that. As surely as I'm standing here, you are here. Holy Spirit, Shake us, awaken us, speak to us. Give us eyes to see what you'd have for us to see and give us hearts of faith to receive it and act on it. Be glorified in this place, Lord. It's not important that they think anything about me when this is all said and done, but may they love you more when they leave than when they came in this place. Lord, for all that, I'll give you praise. Lord, take the words of Isaiah and apply them to our hearts right now. I pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. 
Amen. We're talking about surviving a terrible in-between. We're going to go from the mountain of the Lord to the glory of the Lord. And in between, we're going to talk about the day of the Lord. So those are the three chunks of Scripture. The mountain of the Lord, the day of the Lord, and then the glory of the Lord. And then we'll give a couple of takeaways and we'll be finished. The mountain of the Lord, chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. It says, the word that Isaiah the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above all the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. And many people shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, Come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Now, this passage is a beautiful picture. When you look at verse 1, it says that Isaiah has this word that he saw. There's a, 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 a passage here, verses 2 through 4, that you can go over to the book of Micah, which is another Old Testament book. It's called A Minor Prophet. You can go over there, and it's basically the same poem that's being used in Micah. Now, uh, there, no one knows that Isaiah say, write this or say this, and then Micah get it and then use it, or did Micah say it first and then Isaiah get it? It doesn't really matter. The whole, same Holy Spirit that used it with Micah is using it with Isaiah. And it's the content in here that is really powerful. Isaiah writes and he says, it shall come to pass in the latter days. And that, and that phrasing there, what he's saying is in, at the end time, in the culmination of days, there's going to be a time when the mountain of the house of the Lord is going to be established as the highest of the mountains. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but you can think with me and imagine this. I think pretty simply, whether you grew up in church or you didn't, Mountains back in these days, we're talking about 2,700 some odd years ago. This is where, these were the houses. These were the God houses. This is where man would meet with God and God would condescend to meet with man. This would be how they would meet. You, would, you could hardly find a mountain anywhere where you wouldn't look up on that mountain or a hill and you would find temples or shrines because that was where they went to worship. It was a holy place. When Isaiah is writing here, he says there's coming a day when the mountain of the house of the Lord, it's going to be higher than all the others. And it says that it's going to be lifted up above the hills and nations shall flow to it. And many peoples shall come and they're going to say, come, let us go up to the house of the Lord. Now, interestingly here, they're coming willingly. They're coming up. They're seeking God. And, and what Isaiah is picturing is something that is really impossible in nature. He's saying it's like you're looking at a river or a stream that's going uphill. I mean, we all know. I mean, I'm, I'm terrible with science. I wanted to avoid all the science that I could. No offense for all you science professors and teachers. 
I wanted to avoid it. I wasn't good. I wasn't even that interested. But I know this much. Gravity brings water down. It doesn't shoot it up. Well, what Isaiah is picturing here is he's saying there's coming a day when there are going to be so many people that the image that he has, it's going to be people like a river flowing up the mountain. And they're going to go there willingly, and they're going to go to the house of the God of Jacob. Now, what he's saying here, he's saying at a time period, if you remember, Pastor Trent has talked about this the last few weeks. When Isaiah is giving this prophecy, at this time period, they are surrounded by enemies. They're pretty nervous. Assyria is this rising, strong world power that's threatening them. And that's what they're living in. They're, they're living under that kind of threat of foreign invasion. And even people that were supposed to be allies and friends are no longer friends in this moment. But what's happening in this passage of Scripture is that they're saying, let's abandon our false gods Let's throw away all of our idols. Let's leave our mountains, whether we're Assyrians or whether we're uh, Babylonians, no matter what it is, let's leave our false gods on this day and let's go to the house of the God of Jacob, the house of the God of Israel. This is what Isaiah is seeing. And he's saying this is the reason why. They They want to learn his ways, verse three. They want to walk in his paths. For out of Zion... What is Zion? Zion, uh, by way of description, it literally is a, is a hill uh, just on the southeast side of Jerusalem. And by no means, by the way, is Zion the largest hill or mountain in the area. You can look off in the distance and there are plenty of mountains that are way higher than Zion. Uh, and you guys know, if you, if you have any idea of uh, Old Testament scriptures, you could have watched cartoons and you would have known that Moses went up on a mountain when he met with God. You know, you watch the Prince of Egypt or any other kind of uh, veggie tales or something, and you could kind of know that there's a story where even Moses, the people of God, mountains were special. Abraham met with God on a mountain, and this carries over into the New Testament But Isaiah is prophesying to the end time. Zion is a special place. Zion is not literally going to be the highest mountain, but it is the most important mountain. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. In other words, there's no more important place to go than Zion. And Jerusalem and Zion is kind of used interchangeably. And what Isaiah is really describing here is the ideal Jerusalem. This is ideal. He's saying this is the place where the word of the Lord is going forth. And that, in that day, at that place, it says in verse 4 that the God of Jacob, the God of the house of Jacob, he is going to judge between the nations. He's there. He'll decide disputes for many peoples. In other words, all the arguments and all the saber rattling that's gone on at the UN and all this kind of stuff this past week, all this kind of stuff is going to stop. And they're going to beat their swords into plowshares. Their spears will be turned into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation. They will not even learn war anymore. This is going to be a great day. The mountain of the Lord. What Isaiah is picturing is that this, we're, we're nervous right now. If we're Israel, if we're around in Isaiah's day, we're looking around saying, oh my gracious, these Assyrians are no joke. And when they come in and they take over, they're cruel people. 
And, and everybody's on pins and needles, but here's what you need to know. Isaiah is giving them a word saying, listen, it's not good. I know what's going on around us, but here's what we need to know. There is coming a day when the people of God, and not just the people that we know now, but people from other nations and other people groups, they're all going to come. They're going to forsake their little gods. They're no gods, in fact, and they're going to come and they're going to worship our God, the one and only true God who is exalted. That's coming right here. Now, here's, a, here's an amazing thought for us to consider. We can believe that this is coming one day because in part, it already has come. In part, this day has already come, and here's why. Because in Acts chapter 2, when you get to the New Testament, Jesus has already come. Jesus has lived his life. He's He's gone to the cross, he's suffered, he's died, he's been buried, and he's risen from the grave. He's ascended, he's shown himself alive to many people. And he tells his disciples, he says, tarry here in Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. And he tells them to wait right there. Then weeks later on the day of Pentecost, something happens. It is a partial, not complete, but a partial fulfillment of what's been prophesied in Isaiah chapter 2. Because here's what happens. Are you with me so far? Say amen if you're with me. Acts chapter 2, verse 6. On the day of Pentecost, 120 people praying, worshiping. The Holy Spirit comes, and there's a sound of a mighty rushing wind. And there are people. Now, mind you, these are God worshipers. These are people that are coming there that day to seek God. To worship God. But it says many nations are drawn to him. In chapter 2 verse 6. After the sound of this wind blows. It says that the, the multitude came together. And they were bewildered. Because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And these people were amazed. And they were astonished. Saying are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And by the way let me translate that for you. That's like bumpkins. You know, these are like country bumpkins. These are like East Tennessee hillbillies for, t you know, for today. These are uneducated people. They're like backwoods. These are, we know them the way they've, they've spoken in the past, the way they're dressing. They're not wearing the latest stuff from Giorgio Armani or whatever, whatever you might wear if you're dressing fancily. I don't know, but they're not dressing like everybody else. They don't look like, they don't carry themselves the way others do. But look at them. People are amazed and astonished. They're Galileans. How is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Listen to all these people groups. Parthians, verse 9, Acts 2. Parthians and Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Cyrene, people from Rome, Jews, proselytes, Cretans, Arabians, all these different people groups. That day when God pours out his Holy Spirit, what happens is a partial fulfillment that all of these people groups, they're going to come and they're going to worship before the one true and holy God. And that should really encourage us here today. It didn't have any effect on them back then because this is all looking forward back then. But it should encourage us today, and here's why. Because we can look back at Acts chapter 2, and we can say, this has already kind of begun. 
It's not completely fulfilled. I mean, we haven't seen all the armies like put down their, their weaponry. We haven't seen uh, the, the day where people are no longer preparing for war. We're not seeing that day where people are saying, I'm dying to hear what God has to say. We're not living in that day where people are doing that, where God is ruling and reigning completely in peace. We're not there, but we have seen that God has the power to fulfill his promise to speak with one voice, his word, in such a way that all the different people groups of the world could hear it and say yes. And they heard it. And that day, 3,000 people heard the word of God and they believed and were baptized. That means that day there was something glorious and powerful and beautiful that happened. Are you with me? The second thing I want you to see is the day of the Lord. You've seen the mountain of the Lord. Now you can see the day of the Lord. Now this is where it gets a little bit sticky, or a lot sticky. This is not a wonderful prophecy. This is a terrible pronouncement of sin and judgment. Here it goes. Chapter 2, verse 5. Isaiah has said, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. And what he's saying is, come, let us, let us own this word, and let us obey God, and let's hold on to his word, because it's our lifeline. And here's the reason why, because they're getting ready to go down into a valley. Chapter 2, verse 6 is where it begins. And here's what's happening from chapter 2, verse 6, all the way through chapter 4, verse 1. You see the day of the Lord. First and foremost, you're going to see the reasons for a day of judgment. You're going to see the reasons that God is coming to deal with sin. As a people in general, the people of God, the people of Jacob, which is Israel, they've abandoned God. They've become idolatrous. They've become self-serving. They've become prideful. They've become very immoral. They're very cruel. Um, their leaders were self-serving. They were unjust. They were wicked. They were, they were serving themselves and not serving the people that God had given them the responsibility to lead. So therefore, they were not a blessing. They were a burden to the people of Israel. Leaders were under judgment. The people had followed the leaders, and it was all bad, even to the degree that Isaiah will go on at the end of chapter 3, beginning in about verse 16 all the way through. You'll see that the women, the women, interestingly, were just as ungodly and corrupt as the men. I don't know why. Maybe it's just me personally. I just always tend to find it easier to believe that men are corrupt than I, than I do women. It's just, I don't know why my mind works that way, but it, it shows that women, men, and children alike, leaders, they were corrupt. Isaiah puts it like this, chapter 2, verse 6. Look at it with me. Isaiah now turns his words Godward. He's been, he's been speaking manward, talking about this prophecy that he has, but now he turns and his attention is focused to God. And he says, for you have rejected your people, the house of Jacob, because they are full of things from the east and of fortune tellers like the Philistines. They strike hands with the children of foreigners, which means that they're shaking hands. They're entering into agreements with foreigners who are worshiping false gods. Verse 7 will go on. It says their land is filled with silver and gold. There's no end to their treasures. They have plenty of horses, plenty of chariots. Their land is filled with idols. 
They bow down to the work of their hands of what they've made with their own fingers. They make idols and then bow down to them. How insane is that? And so he, he wraps it up and says, So man is humbled and each one is brought low. And boy, I'm going to take just a minute. I'm going to just breathe for just a minute. You know, about this time in the first service, the power went completely out. So we're still looking at one another right now in light. So we're doing better in this service than we were in the last one. But I don't want you to miss this because we just looked at the ideal Israel, the ideal Jerusalem in, in uh, that first point, the mountain of the Lord. Now what Isaiah is dealing with here is the real Jerusalem, the real situation. This ideal place, this ideal mountain, that's where we're going but where do we live now? There's a, there's a series of contrasts that you'll note between those first few verses and then Isaiah, Isaiah 2, verses 6 through 9. There's five of them. Just listen to this or follow with me in your, in your Bible if you want. In verse 2, it says, The world is drawn to Zion. All the peoples of the world, they're being drawn there. But in verse 6, it says that Israel is choosing the world. In verse 3, we see that the world is coming up to, uh, to seek spiritual benefit. They want the word from the Lord. They want to hear from God. They want spiritual benefit. But Israel just keeps piling up more and more treasure. Israel's benefit that they're seeking for is material. In Israel, or excuse me, in Isaiah 2, verse 4, you see world peace coming out of Zion, world peace coming out of Jerusalem. But in verse 7, you see that Israel is finding its strength in itself, Israel armed for war. Israel's not trying to be a blessing, Israel's not trying to bless the nations, not trying to bring peace, but Israel is arming for war at all times. In verse 3, you see that the world wants to know and to talk with God and to hear from God, to obey God. But in verse 8, you see that Israel has rejected God and gone and made idols for themselves. In verse 4, you see that the world is received before the Lord. But in verse 6, you see Israel, Isaiah says, has been rejected by God. You see, every day, every single day, whether we know it or not, whether it's intentional or not, we are saying to the Lord, thy will be done or my will be done. Every single day, we're either praying it and living that out or we're, in one way or another, we're, we're either declaring we're going to live by faith and we're saying, God, thy will be done as Jesus taught us to pray or we're saying, no, I'll have it my way. And the real Israel in that day, the real Israel that Isaiah was prophesying to, they were saying every single day, we're going to do this our way. We're going to make unholy alliances. We're going to worship idols. We're going to serve ourselves. We're going to be adulterous. This is the kind of stuff Isaiah is saying. I was so proud of Pastor Trent last week. I've been a pastor and so I, I pastored in New York for almost 13 years. And last week, some of the things that he said, they weren't that easy to say. I don't know if you were here or not, but I just sat there with a big smile on my face. And the reason for that, it's not because I, like some people I used to preach and some people would come up to me and they didn't even think I had preached unless I like went off on something. 
You know, like telling what I was against. I'm against this or I'm against that. And I can do that sometimes. I've gotten so preachy sometimes. I've, at the end of it, I'm like, I didn't even know I was against that until I started preaching right there. You know, you just go crazy sometimes when you're preaching and you just, you're against the world and you're against sin and all this kind of stuff. But last week I was so proud that he's a pastor who loves the congregation enough that he's going to say the hard thing in love. And he says it from a shepherd's heart. And that's a big difference. Because we live in a day, and I think you all can testify to this, there are a lot of preachers that won't, they'll skirt around the difficult things. They're not going to touch anything difficult. But Paul said to Timothy, he says, there's coming a day when they'll heap up for themselves uh, preachers who will tickle their ears. I'm very thankful that Trent didn't do that. I'm very thankful he's not going to do that, but he's going to speak to us in love. And that's what Isaiah is doing here. He's saying, in, in truth, this is where we are. In verse 5, he's saying, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. He's calling them back. Let's come back to the Lord and let's walk with him. And the reason is because we have decided, in fact, to walk away from him. And so what he's declaring is because Israel has walked away from God, now they're having to live with that. And now the consequences from walking away from God are about to roll back downhill on them. They've turned around and walked, with, walked away from God, and now God's about to let them live in that judgment. And what happens? The results of God's judgment are pretty devastating. And it's not just for Judah and Jerusalem, even though that's specifically the immediate group he's speaking with. It's for, it's for all the world, all the unbelieving world. What you're going to find is that God himself, God himself will judge men and he will execute justice. And verse 12 says, for the Lord of hosts has a day against all that is proud and lofty. Secondly, you see a result of God's judgment in that when this happens, when God stands and becomes both judge and warrior to execute his justice, you're going to see mankind start taking those idols that he's made for himself and he's going to throw them away because he's going to say, you're doing me no good now. He's going to throw those things away and God will crush and scatter all those things. And thirdly, you'll see that all of the proud and all of the exalted of mankind will be humbled. Have you ever noticed a lot of statues? Like I used to love to walk through New York City and see these statues. And I mean, you don't get a statue made out of you unless you're like really important. But have you noticed what happens to the statues? What do you find on statues? Bird stuff. All the proud and all those that are so exalted, even in our own day, there are some that were thinking, man, that guy, he's going to be remembered. Nobody's going to remember him 100 years from now. Even if they build a big, huge statue, it's just going to have bird droppings on it in about 100 years. Nobody's going to care. And that's what, the, that's what Isaiah is saying. One of these days, none of that's going to matter. What he essentially goes on to say is that the armies of men, all of them, including Judah's and Jerusalem's, they've got, they've got chariots, they've got spears, they've got horses without end. And he's saying it's all, all of that's going to be defeated. The inhabitants of the land, they're going to be taken away. The women themselves will be desperate. Chapter 4, verse 1, it says that there will, listen to this, this is terrible. 
after going through and describing like how bad it's going to be, he gets down to a point, I think about verse 16 of, of chapter four, uh, 3, where he starts talking about the women. They're walking around and they're beautiful and there's a lot of arrogance and pride and all this different kind of stuff. And, and he gets down to the end and essentially he says, all that's going to be taken away. They will no longer wear a belt, but they will have a rope. And what's the reason for the rope? The rope is because they're going to be dragged around like slaves. They're not going to have nice, beautiful hair anymore. They'll be like lepers. They'll have scabs on their head. It's going to be a terrible day, and it's going to be so bad. Men, women, boys and girls, all are going to have this judgment. And he says that in that day, there will be seven, and this is a more specific prophecy, that there will be seven women in Jerusalem and Judah for one man. Now, he's just gone from this coming day to a legitimate day that's about to come in chapter 2 and 3. He's bringing chapter 2, this end-time day, into something more specific into chapter 3. And here's what I want you to see. All of this prophecy is to say bad times are coming. It's going to be really bad one day, but there's going to be something that's going to be short of that day even before then. And it's going to come home on us. That's what Isaiah is saying back then to those people. Now, I want you to get this with me. Here we are again in chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, 1 through 5. You see a partial fulfillment at Pentecost. Well, in Acts chapter 2, verse 6, all the way through chapter 4, verse 1, you'll see multiple times where this prophecy is fulfilled. It won't be by the Assyrians who are crowding around them when Isaiah is prophesying, but there will be a day when Israel will be invaded. It, there will be a day, and it's going to come with the Babylonians. Last year, Pastor Trent took us through Daniel, and he told us they took the best from the land down into Nineveh. And when, he took them, when they took them down there, they, they made them their own. They taught their language. They enculturated them and those kind of things. They took the best. They made them slaves. Here's what I want you to see. A.D. 70, this came home really heavily. Because then Rome comes into Jerusalem. Rome completely destroys. They desecrate the temple. They take out all the, the, all the gold, all the silver, everything that would have been any value. They, they take it all away. It was, a, it was a terrible, terrible time in AD 70. The reason that I'm sharing this with you is to say in prophetic fulfillment, at least in part, you will see that Isaiah was seeing something that would really come to pass. The reason I say this is to you is to say, why do I believe that we're going to one day go up and there's going to be this real pure worship? It's because we've seen it happen already at Pentecost. Why do we believe that this day of judgment is coming? Ladies and gentlemen, the reason we're believing that it's coming is because it has already come. Not complete, not, not eternal, but it has come in part. You can build your walls and you can have your blessings, Isaiah said, but when God starts to judge, you will not be able to fight. And God would do it through the armies of men in this lifetime, but there will be a day at the end when God himself will do the fighting. Are you learning anything? Am I helping at all? Okay, can we get back to some good news? Because that's where we want to end. Now I want you to look with me, verses 2 through 6 in chapter 4. I told you, Trent gave me a lot to cover, but I don't have much more. We're on the downhill side. Now we're going to look at the glory of the Lord. We've seen the mountain of the Lord. We've seen the day of the Lord. Now we're looking at the glory of the Lord. 
In that day, the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the land shall be the pride and honor of the survivors of Israel. And he who is left in Zion and remains in Jerusalem will be called holy. Everyone who has been recorded for life in Jerusalem, when the Lord shall have washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and cleansed the bloodstains of Jerusalem from its midst by a spirit of judgment and a spirit of burning, then the Lord will create over the whole site of Mount Zion and over her assemblies a cloud by day and smoke and the shining of a flaming fire by night. For over all the glory there will be a canopy. There will be a booth for shade by day from the heat and a refuge and a shelter from the storm and rain. You see here in this passage, you got to pay close attention, but what you see Isaiah doing, absolutely brilliant. This is why he's quoted so often. Absolutely brilliant. He does another contrast. The leaders were fallen. The leaders had caused trouble for Israel. That's part of the reason they were going into judgment. And now in this passage, in these verses, verses 2 through 6, there's a great leader that will be back in Zion, back in Jerusalem. When it talks about the branch of the Lord, that's talking about Jesus, the Messiah. There's coming a day when the Messiah will be there, a life giver. It's going to look like everything has been, has been judged. Every tree in the forest is going to be cut down, but there's going to be a branch. There's going to be a, a life giver in the middle of all that. There's a great leader. He's not going to look like much when it starts. And if you know Christmas is coming, how many shopping days till Christmas? 97? Don't go count. There's a great leader. We celebrate Christmas. It's the coming of the Lord. And, and was, it, was it anything grand and glorious? And what he's saying here is, is like Isaiah would say later, we're gonna, not going to look at him and just be amazed at his appearance. He's going to be the God-man. He's just a man. He's going to be a baby. But this branch is going to grow up, and he's going to bring life. And he's going to bring life to the entire world. It's going to have a great leader in that end day. And then there's going to be a new creation. It talks about in chapter 2 and 3, it talks about how the, it's going to be judged and it's going to be bad. But when you look in verse 2 of Isaiah 4, it says in that day it's going to be beautiful and glorious and the fruit of the land will be the pride and honor. It's going to be a new creation. Mount Zion in Jerusalem will be renewed Thirdly, there's going to be there a holy people, the inhabitants of the land. They're no longer going to be idolaters. They're not going to be making little trinket idols for themselves. It says that there will be people there that will have been made holy. People whose names have been recorded for life. The Lord, verse 4, will wash away the filth. Remember what I was talking about? Even the women were living in adultery and the women were living with pride and living with problem. Listen to what he says. He says, in this particular passage, he says that the filth of the daughters of Zion will be cleansed. Those bloody hands of the men of Jerusalem will be cleansed. And there will be there a spirit of judgment and, and a spirit of burning. They will be perfectly clean. They will be a holy people. And lastly, a glorious future. The glory of the presence of the Lord will be there and will never leave us again. He will be the protector. He'll be the provider. He'll be in the middle of it all. 
When you look there, it says the Lord will create over the whole side of Zion, a cloud by day and, and shining and fire by night, and glory will be there like a canopy. I just want you to just, just follow along with me now as I bring this home. We're in, a, we're in a situation in this passage where we've talked about the partial fulfillment of the mountain of the Lord. We've talked about a partial fulfillment for the day of the Lord. Now you look at this, a partial fulfillment here for the glory of the Lord. Go back with me mentally to Acts chapter 2. And if you haven't read that, you're not familiar with it, go read Acts chapter 2. Here's what you'll find happen. When these people I was talking about earlier... When these people, these country bumpkins, when these people started speaking and everybody's hearing them in their own languages, here's what happened. What happened is it says that that day when they start speaking, there are like tongues of fire that come down upon them. And they start prophesying and they start talking the power and the prophecies of God. And they start talking about the promises of God and the fulfillment in Jesus Christ. And it comes on them like tongues of fire. Why fire? What in the world? Did anybody ever read that early on and say, tongues of fire? What in the world is that? Here's what it is. What it is, is it's a, it's a type, it's a picture. When you go back and you look at Israel, when they were being led by Moses, during the day, it was a cloud, and at night, it was a fire. Well, what's happening in this passage is a fulfillment that the glory that was with Israel back when Israel was following Moses, the glory has now come down upon the church. But it's not coming into a temple, it's coming upon his people. We are the temple. We are the people of God. The reason that we believe that there's coming a day where his glory is going to be so profound in our midst is because it already is. I look around here and I know that some of you have been in trouble before. I know that I'm looking at some people who have been freed up from addiction. I'm looking at some people in here who have been, who have been through one relationship mess after the next. I'm looking at some people in here who broke all the commandments you were taught as a kid and you did it in defiance and you did it with joy, thinking you would never come back and you're still here today. You've, you've come back. I'm looking at people who have sinned a hundred times over. If you look to your right and you look to your left, and by the way, you look at me, you know what you're going to find? Some sinful, messed up jokers. The church is full of them. But here's the beauty of it all. We're all here to worship the Lord. We're all here because he's been good enough to call us, to give us a new heart, to cleanse us, to make us one. We're here to worship in the name of Jesus. We're here to raise our hands. We're here to give him honor and glory and praise. And there's coming a day when, the, when that presence that is with us in taste now, it's going to be better than anything you've ever experienced in your life. Think about the most pure moment you've ever seen or been a part of. I'll never forget seeing my baby when she was born. I'll never forget picking her up. I held her. She was five pounds, two ounces. They put a band on my arm that I did not cut off for six weeks. I finally cut it off because it smelled so bad in the hospital. Just holding her little face to me, it was the most pure love I've ever experienced to this day in my life. I'll never forget when I was standing there, and there's a pastor here, and I'm watching my, my 
now wife come out and they're bringing her down and we're, I'm about to get married to her. And I see her and my, I'm just, I, this is the most beautiful woman I've ever seen in my life. My heart's so full. I can't believe I'm getting ready to have her as my wife. I think about moments when I've seen creation and it's just left me in awe. I think about like when I was, I was on a cruise once and I'm up there jogging really early in the morning and there's like 20 people out there. And that morning there were two rainbows that were there. And I mean, everybody just stopped what they were doing. Everybody's over there taking their iPads and their phones, taking pictures. And we're looking at these rainbows just in awe over the sea. And by the way, there's no gold at the end of the rainbows. We're looking at the rainbows and we're going, oh, this is incredible. We just froze. It froze everybody on the boat. We're looking at this, the most beautiful thing you've ever seen in creation, the most pure love you've ever had, the most protected moment you've ever had in your life when you feel like I'm protected. I remember after 9-11, I remember being down in Virginia Beach where my wife lives in that area. And I remember this was in that day when we're like, what's next? What's coming next? And I remember they were flying uh, these missions overhead constantly down there and Norfolk Naval Base and, and the planes are going over to protect all the time. And when I'm hearing those planes, they were so loud. And there were some people that were so annoyed by it. Can I just tell you, it made me feel so good. I was like, I dare anybody to try to come in here and do something stupid with that kind of force over us. Felt so protected. Whether it's protection, whether it's purity, whether it's beauty, no matter whether it's love, whether it's intimacy, whatever it is, those moments, put it all in one package. Put it all in one package. And this is what Isaiah is saying. This is what's going to be in the mount of the Lord. This is what it's going to be when Jesus is in the middle of everything because there will be perfect peace. And there will be perfect glory. There will be no war. There will be no need to train for it. It's going to be a wonderful, wonderful day. And why do we believe it? Because we've seen the glory come in part already. I look around here today, and i got to tell you, some of you, some of you are really beautiful people. I know I should say all, but I can't look at a man and say you're beautiful with a clear conscience. <laughs> beautiful people. But I'm going to tell you something. There's coming a day when he's going to make all things new. And it's going to be beautiful. And the reason I believe that is because I know he's taken hardened, broken people like me and like you. And he's brought us together under one roof. And we come in here and sing to a God we can't see about a day somewhere off in the future and say that's where our hope is. We talk to him. We sing to him. We give to him. And that's why we believe in future glory. So as you walk out today, two things I want you to walk out thinking about. Number one, if you're a believer and you're going through one of those seasons, you've gone from some promise and you believe one day you're going to get there, there's going to be some fulfillment, but you're like in the middle of it all right now, you're going through some dark, dark stuff, please know this, it ha it Somehow or another, in the sovereignty of God, it just seems to be a pattern. Do not get discouraged. Trust in the Lord. Believe in the Lord. In verse 10 of chapter 3, here's what you'll find. You'll find God speaking to Isaiah saying, tell the righteous, it will be well with them. 
One verse in the middle of two chapters of judgment that just says, tell the righteous it will be well with him. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're in the faith, it may seem like, is this, is this true? Is this real? Can I believe this? And here is the answer, yes. It will be well with you. He's sovereign, and he will bring his promise to pass in your life. So keep believing him. And the second thing that I would say is this. If you're here this morning and you've never given your heart to Christ, you may be thinking, man, that's great. You, you believers, you guys can talk about the grace and you can talk about this great day that's coming. But what about those of us who aren't sure, who don't believe, we're not at that place yet? Can I just tell you, I'm glad you're here. You're in the right place. You didn't come here today to get judged. You came here today to hear a word of hope. You came here today to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. The reason we believe all this is because God sent his only son into the world to bring glory to the world. And we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father. God walked among us. God gave his life so that we might have life. You're in the right place. So how do you avoid the judgment of God? How do you evade his justice? How do you do this? You avoid the justice of God. You miss the wrath of God by running toward the love of God. You run to him. You believe in him. You wrap your arms of faith around Jesus. And I say this knowing that some of you feel right now, I can't. I don't believe or I can't, I, can't, I can't believe that he would forgive me. I've baptized mafioso. I've baptized people who have killed other people. I've baptized people that are bad beyond anything that you could talk about. I have seen the grace of God take hard, dead hearts and make them new. I tell you that what God has done for others, he can do for you. Believe this. When you think about the cross, it's God stretching his arms out wide saying, come. And I close with this verse. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for God will abundantly pardon. <sighs> to be pardoned for some little minute crime is one thing. To be pardoned for the murder of his son Jesus, that's a whole other thing. And your greatest crime, if you're an unbeliever, and my greatest crime before I was a believer, was that I was walking away from the message that God sent his son. So today, know this. Jesus came to seek and save you. Come to him. Receive his message. Let's pray. Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, I thank you that we are here today knowing that you have done a good work among us. We thank you that because of the partial fulfillments we've had along the way, there's a great day coming. Be the culmination of all things where you'll make all things new. And we believe it because you've already started. I see it in the faces of people who worship you here at this church. Smile on them this week, Lord, as they walk and live out their faith. Lord, for those who haven't given their hearts to you, may they right now give their heart to you. May they right now know that they're not here by accident, that even in this quiet moment, they could give their heart to you and you would forgive them 
for that's why Jesus came. Lord, we just pray that as we go out this week and live for you, that you would do a great work in us and through us. Be glorified. Thank you for your Holy Spirit who empowers us to live like people who have a great day coming. To live like people who are headed somewhere incredible and want to take as many people with us as we can. Lord, we love you. Thank you for West Shore Free Church. Thank you for what you're doing here. Bless us this week. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.